In Revelation 22:13, Jesus said that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He was the Word in the beginning, and he is the risen King of glory in the end. Join us on our year-long journey as we see how Jesus was present in every book of the Bible. This is Alpha and Omega. guess I'm just cursed. Anybody ever said that before? Typically, a statement like that happens uh, after a string of some unfortunate events, some problems that is not just a one-time blimp on the radar, but a string of problems that have happened. And we might say it was a flat tire on a rainy day followed by the loss of a job, a fight in a marriage, um, and then all of a sudden, all of these things that have happened that are negative, bad things, just kind of flow together on our, our schedule, on our calendar, and, and then we look up in life and we might, might say something like, I guess I'm just cursed. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever, ever done that? Yeah. A string of unfortunate events might lead us to say something like, I guess I'm just cursed. Or we might be pulling from history and we might find ourselves in that string of unfortunate events that have taken place that have been negative on our calendar. But, but we look a little bit further back than just the, the series of events and in this moment and say, I guess I'm just cursed. We might even say something like, well, it's just the fill in your last name. It's just the Bowles curse. Anybody ever said anything like that? It's just, this is just my family. I've got a history of this. This is, this is what we've always been. This is what we've always done. I, I, my marriage is, is rocky because I, I come from a long lineage of divorce. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling as a dad because I didn't have a dad show up in my life. I'm, I'm broke all the time, but I grew up in poverty, so that's just who we are. It's just the bold's curse. Just to say something real quick about that, because I think sometimes we, we throw the history on something that God is trying to break loose from us, and, and we claim a history that doesn't belong to us because Christ is trying to break us free from that. Ezekiel, and this is not our passage for tonight, but, but Ezekiel says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse one through three, I think it's gonna be on the screen here. It says, for the word of the Lord came to me again, obviously came into Ezekiel, verse two, saying, what mean ye? Now, now God's speaking through Ezekiel to the nation of Israel, who's, who's kind of saying this, this thing, it's just the Israelite curse. He says that you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Yes, because, you know, my great-grandfather, he smoked dope and my, my father, my grandfather smoked dope and my father smoked dope. And so now it's just, it's just who we are. It's, it's my last name. It's the last name in the community. When the last name is brought up, everybody thinks of that particular sin associated with that particular last name. We, we kind of reach back to this. Notice what, what the Lord says through Ezekiel to the nation. It was, as I live, saith the Lord God. I, you're not going to get any more powerful than that. <laughs> when God says, as I live, try to wrap your, your, this is not an insult, your small brain around that. You can't. As I, Elohim, the, the one who has always been, he is self-existent, eternal. There's never been a time to where he has not lived. And he says, as I live, saith the Lord God, you shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. And I'm going to say that tonight. Not that I'm a prophet, but I'm going to speak this tonight for your good. 
that this can be a theme over your life. That you don't have to live life anymore, even though there might be moments uh, to where there's serial problems that happen in your life. You don't have to say, I just guess I'm cursed. You don't have to say anymore because great-great-grandmama, great-great-grandpapa, that they did these things and anywhere I go, my last name is mentioned, that I'm associated with this problem. You don't have to do any of that anymore because you can, through the living God, be set free. You can break away from all of that. Just because they were eating sour grapes don't mean your teeth has to be set on edge. You can be breaking away, broken away from that generational curse, as the the Lord who is God lives, you don't have to say that anymore. You don't have to believe that anymore. You don't have to live that anymore. You can be completely set free from that. If it's failed businesses, if it's a loss of a job, if it's a ruined relationship, if it's divorce, if it's bankruptcy, if it's a history of fatherless in in, in homes, if it's addiction in family, if if it's poverty, you don't have to be a part of that anymore. We use these phrases to express hurt over a constant trauma. But there has been one who has come, who has spoken of way before he got here, that he would be the one to take your curse away. That you don't have to bear the curse of your forefathers. You don't have to bear the curse of your actions. But instead, you can be curseless. You can. And I understand the totality of all of this and and what all of that means. The Bible teaches us since Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, there has been a curse because of sin. Anybody anybody feel the weight of sin? Yeah, testify, brother and sister. You can be healed that way, right? Yeah, I know. I know what the, the weight of sin. That's traced all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. We in conception... We in birth was born sinners. We choose through our actions and our lifestyle to sin and curse is associated with all of that. But Jesus, when Jesus came, he came to take the curse of sin off of you and onto himself so that he would be the one cursed hanging on a tree for your behalf so that you can be set free. And this is good news tonight. And so we're gonna look in the book of Numbers. We are in this series of messages throughout the year. We're gonna take it real slow through the Old Testament. We're just kind of Sunday driving through the Old Testament. How many of you guys remember a Sunday drive? Yeah, it's fun when you're the one doing a Sunday drive. It's not fun when you get behind somebody who's doing a Sunday drive. But you know what a Sunday drive means. A Sunday drive is just, man, I'm just chilling. Speed limit's 45, I'm gonna do 25. Wind is down, breeze is flowing. I got the bop on the radio, and here I go, right? Sunday, that's what we do through the Old Testament. When we get in the New Testament, we're gonna have to press the gas a little bit, okay? So we're taking Genesis, Exodus. What did we talk about last week? Leviticus. And now we're in numbers. And so out of all the things that we could look at in the book of Numbers to find the image, the reflection, the pre-incarnate Jesus, a a shadow, a foretelling, a, a symbolic meaning behind for Jesus, we look in Numbers chapter 21 and we read verse eight and nine. And and the good thing about reading this passage and understanding this passage and how it applies to Jesus in the Old Testament, that he is the alpha, the beginning, and he is the omega, he is the end, is that Jesus actually references this passage of scripture. And we're going to talk about it in just a few minutes, references this passage of scripture about himself. Numbers chapter 21, verse eight, it's on the screen. If you don't have a Bible in your lap, we encourage you to bring a Bible, but if you don't, it's on the screen. It says in verse eight, and the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent. 
Again, King James, some of you guys are reading the NLT, maybe the Amplified, NIV, New King James. It says something a little bit different, but I'm gonna explain that here in just a little bit. Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, the, the bronze serpent upon the pole, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, there's a whole lot more that's going on there. But first of all, before I get into this, because I have several of you come to me and share with me some of your studies, I want to be able to honor that, and I want to encourage that. Next book we're going to be in is called Deuteronomy. That's exactly right. It's a great book. We'll explain some of that next week. Go ahead and start reading ahead and see if you can find Jesus in the book of Deuteronomy. It might be a type or a shadow or it might be the pre-incarnate Jesus to where he is, he is known as maybe the angel of the Lord or something like that. Keep your study. Keep it going. But s several of you guys have come to me and you said, and you shared notes with me. You've let me see your notes. And, and man, I just want to applaud you for just a moment. Can, can, can I give you guys a hand? Amen. I'm going to give you guys a hand because you're, you're students of the Bible. You, you, you take this seriously. You read it and you study it and you meditate. You think on it and you memorize it. And that is very, very important in the world we live in. And so thank you for taking the word of God seriously. And you've made notes and you've, I've seen in your notes and, I, and I've read some of those things to where you, you picked up on the book of Numbers, what it's all about. It's, it's basically, there's a whole lot more to it, but it's basically a census that God is taking of the nation of Israel. Why is it important that there is a census made of the nation of Israel? You remember what all's happened here in Genesis through Abraham. There is the birthing of a new nation. Jacob is named Israel. He has 12 sons who become 12 tribes who are in the bondage of Egypt after 400 years. Pharaoh who forgets the acts of Joseph and now they enslave them. Moses is sin and Moses is a leader, a type of Jesus that leads his people out of captivity and into the wilderness with the promise of a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And so as they leave that area and as they are traveling and they are worshiping and they are expecting and they are waiting, God is saying, okay, let, let's, let's just, not for him to know. Not for him to say, wait, time out. You folks is like herding cats. Let me see how many of you there are. God knew, God knew 10 billion years before Genesis 1-1 how many Israelites would be in the wilderness the day of the census. It's not a shock to him, but it's a, a humbling lesson for Moses and Aaron and other leaders in the nation of Israel. It's a sober reality to say, my goodness, what God is doing as, I, as I've studied and, and tried to wrap my mind around some of the figures that different guys who have studied the Bible and know it a whole lot better than I do in the past try to put figures on it, it ranges, depending on who you're reading behind in commentary, between 1.2 to 3.8 million people who are traveling in the wilderness. And the reason it's such a range is because you've got to remember, there was a lot of people who lived. There was a lot of people who were born. There were a lot of people who joined from other nations. It was a mixed multitude. And there were a lot of people who did a lot of dumb things and died. Okay? There were people who were complaining and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. Our situation tonight, they just lost a few folks. Okay? And so God is saying to the nation of Israel, here's your responsibility. I want you to make sure that you understand in ministry, in your role of ministry, you need to make sure that you're responsible with the people that I give you because people are always more important than things. This is the temptation, not just to ministry, but to your family to forget that people are more, more important than property. When property becomes the main objective of everything you do, your time, your money, your focus, all of that goes to things instead of people, you're getting stuff backwards. 
Soba. Jesus actually warned us in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't store up things, your investment. Don't let it be in things that moth and rust does corrupt, where thieves can break through and steal. But instead, invest it in eternal things. Guys, listen. Facebook and the constant addictive scroll is not near as important as that seven-year-old little baby who needs to hear about Jesus, but when they're ready to show you your coloring, you don't have time enough to break free from seeing the drama on Facebook. Now, that's not anybody here, so y'all tell them when they, the ones that didn't come, y'all tell them I said that, okay? Because I know it's not y'all. Man, there's a, a thousand other distractions that rob away the attention. You should love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it and invest in her and not in things. Wife, you should love your husband and not invest in things. You, parents to children and children to, to parents. And sports is great, but... But don't let that be the driving force behind loving your child. Man, there's so many things behind that. But, but God is teaching the nation of Israel. God is speaking to Moses. He's raising up this leader of responsibility, putting in priority people over things. And he's saying, I want you to, I want you to notice these people. This is, this is who you... So it's a census. It's a historical document as well. Literal things happened. They sent out spies and spies came back with some of the good reports, some of the negative reports. So they didn't go into the, to, to the land of flowing with milk and honey. There was a, a prophet who was hired out to go and prophesy against Israel. And God had to speak to this prophet through a donkey. Some amazing stuff that's happened in the book of Numbers. Someone else in their notes, they, they, put, they put this, God is still wanting to be with his people every time throughout it. And all the things that happen through the book of Numbers, keep studying, keep reading, keep seeking out. This is one subject just for the sake of time, but you guys are getting it. So what's the backstory to Numbers chapter 21? Why do we find ourselves in verse eight and nine talking about God's instruction to Moses to take a, some, some brass and, 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 and form a, a serpent, put it on a pole, and have people to look at that pole? Well, if you'll go back to the first three verses, you'll find that God allowed the nation of Israel to triumph over their enemy, the Canaanites. And as they triumphed over their enemies and God gave them victory as God defeated the Canaanites, they began to continue their wandering in the wilderness and they got hungry again. <laughs> and they didn't feel like the menu was satisfactory to their taste buds. Once again, the nation of Israel comes to Moses, comes to Aaron. Man, we're, we're starving to death. We're dying of thirst. Can't you fix this problem? In all reality, it could have been fixed if they would have had faith to begin with right? If they would have listened to the positive report of the spies that came and not going with the majority, the 10 spies came back with a negative report, two came back with a positive report. Let me just say this, majority shouldn't always rule. It shouldn't always rule. We, I know that we as Americans live in this d democracy, republic kind of mindset of how our, our government is structured and we go cast a ballot and vote and do these things and we think in our minds that the, you know, the, the, the majority should rule. But when we try to apply that in a spiritual way, most of you guys have been here long enough to know this, and I know it's not a shock to everybody. Some of you guys, it might be a shock. This church is about 10 years old. And for 10 years, we have, we have been used by God to do some wonderful things in, in my estimation. We send people to recovery, and we see people set free, and we see people saved. Somebody's gonna get baptized Sunday. Amen. Whoop, whoop, Yeah. And so, I mean, y'all baptized everybody twice when I was gone. Finally, somebody's going to get baptized. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not hurt about it. A little bit of not hurt. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, I really do think I am somewhat hurt about that. <laughs> but I'm praying through it, and I'm going to get there. All right, where was I at? 
I might need some counseling. But uh, this church for 10 years has done ministry and has never had a business meeting. No. This church has existed and people have been saved and baptized and discipled and sent out as missionaries and the work of Christ is being done through the vision he's called us to and nobody's voted on anything. Isn't that good? Yeah, yeah. I, I think sometimes our minds think, well, it's gotta be a majority rule. Most of the time in the Bible when you see a majority rule, they're ruling in the wrong way. <laughs> Jesus never went around counting the bars. He didn't. All right, sheep, come together. Let the bars be for this and the nays be for this. No, he didn't do that. And so this is another example of where it went the wrong way. And if they would have just listened by faith to God, then let him be the leader through that appointed man, Moses, then they would have been appreciating all the milk and all the honey that they could have wanted. It's, they're here again and they're complaining. And they're, com do, do this on some off time. Study the Old Testament, in particular these books that we're reading through, the Exodus, and see how many times the people of God complained and murmured and how God responded to that. Here, here this is what happens. They go to Moses and they're like, Moses, you and the Lord are terrible. We're not eating what we want to eat and eating enough of what we want and we're dying of thirst and y'all brought us out here to kill us. Man, I wish we would have been back in Egypt and this is terrible. And then all of a sudden, and I know I'm fast forwarding, but snakes come out. You read leading up into verse eight, five, six, and seven. These fiery serpents, these poisonous snakes come out and start biting people. Golly, that just creeps me out so much. How many of you guys are snake people, by the way? I mean, you're like, weird. It's weird. I just, I don't get it. So these, these snakes come out and they're, they're biting the complainers, Right? And the poison is in their body. I've never been bit. Thank you, Jesus. Not even by one that, if a snake bites me, it's either going to be the poison or my heart attack that takes me out. I'm just telling you, venomous or not venomous. And they're, they're swelling up and their bodies are contracting and their lungs are shutting off and, and people are dying. They're dropping out left and right because of complaining. Complaining does more damage than what you could ever imagine. Don't be a complainer. Don't be a murmurer. Don't be a gossip. Don't, if you got something to say about somebody, say something good. Did you know the Bible actually says, speak evil of no man? That's hard to do. I get it, and I'm definitely not perfect in that, but that's what we're told. And so let's make sure that our words are seasoned with grace and, and that we're not, we're not, trying to make sure that we see the glass either as half full or half empty to be a pessimist or optimist that that is not even a part of the equation but they, we do what the bible says in philippians 4 4 and we rejoice and we evermore our purpose in life is to rejoice that we have this mind in us that was in christ jesus that whatever state i am in if i am hungry or if i'm filled if i am clothed or if i am naked if i have housing or i don't have housing that I'm going to be content because I know that contentment with godliness is great gain for me. And so to be satisfied, you see, complaints are a compulsion that comes because of a lack of comfort. Comfort, get this, is, and it's the only way it can be, defined by what your experience of pleasure has been. You feel me? I, I know some people that sleep on the road and a straight back chair that's cushioned feels like a California king to them. But for some of us, a California king ain't good enough. 
You see what I'm saying? And so this is, this is where they are and, and God sends this curse and people are being bitten by these snakes and people are dying, census is dropping. So what's the response? The people come back to Moses and they're like, bro, we blew it. Here we are again, we're complaining and we shouldn't have been complaining and now we're confessing. By the way, the only proper response on the backside of a complaint is a confession. Okay? It's just, okay, I blew it. I shouldn't have been complaining. I was complaining. I confess it to you, Lord, forgive me. And every year that has heard it, please forgive me. The nation of Israel, the leaders, they, they, come, to, they come to Moses and they come to Aaron and they, they say, Moses, would you please pray to the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive us, please? They're looking for a priest. They're looking for a mediator. Moses is the type of Jesus. He is the mediator between God and man. There is no need for a priest to con- you to go confess your sin to and get forgiveness through a confessional booth. We have Jesus now who is the mediator for us. But here they're using Moses and they go to Moses and say, Moses, pray to the Lord that he'll forgive us and rescue us from this mess that we've made for ourselves. And Moses prays for the people of Israel. He says, God, I love these people. Bunch of knuckleheads, but I love them. And God, I'm asking you to stop these fiery serpents from biting the people and rescue them. And and God says, okay, here's your prescription. Here's the medicine that is going to cure. It's the only way that it'll work. I want you to go take uh, uh, some some brass and I want you to bronze, brazen, what do you say? I'm not a metal worker, Lord. You take some metal and you fashion it out to look like a snake and you put it on a pole. You lift that pole up. And you tell the nation of Israel, anybody that's been bitten by a snake, you tell them to come look at that snake. And when they look at that snake, then their body will be healed of the venom, poisonous venom of the snake. And they will be rescued, they will be saved, they will live. Isn't it it strange how so many times in the Bible, God, God told people to do some weird things for the answer to their problem. Jericho, we're gonna get to it. Jericho, don't, 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 don't sling one arrow, draw one sword, scale one wall until you've marched around it. Six days, once a day, the seventh day, seven times, the Ark of the Covenant in front bared by the priest and the, the choir here and, and then when it comes that time, I want you to let out a big shout And that's how you're going to win. That is an unconventional war tactic. Doesn't work that way. But God said that's the way it's going to work. Just because God's word to you has called you to do something that you might think this is unconventional, this is weird, this is not the way it's been, somebody might look at me a little strange just, just because that might be the temptation, don't let that damper or destroy the faith that he's calling out of you to trust him in his word because it's okay if people look at you and say, ah, that's weird, they're weird. Uh, I, I tell you guys this all the time out of a very loving heart. They think that anyway, <laughs> right? It's not a shock to them that you're weird that you're doing weird things. You're a Christian. We're supposed to be strange to the world around us, right? And so so act out in faithful obedience to do exactly as the Lord has commanded you and you'll gain the victory. And so he, he, Moses does this and this bronze serpent, he, he lifts it up and people come and see it and, and they're healed. And so how do we see Jesus in this? Before we get in, into some other thoughts, John chapter three, verse 14. It's gonna be on the screen and I'm not gonna read it just yet. I wanna remind you of the context of it. We are headlong going. Verse 16, what does John three sixteen say? For God so loved the world. You remember that, right? This is, where, this is where the foundation of that verse is, the foundation is in verse 14. That's where it gets its power from its foundation. Jesus is speaking to a guy named Nicodemus who is a religious ruler, thinking that he can get to heaven in his own works. Just in the jail this past Tuesday, last night, and I was preaching and, and had the opportunity to share a few things, and one guy said, I'm gonna go to heaven because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good person, I do good deeds. 
And I'm just going to tell you, if there was a cane corso, y'all know what that is? You dog people. (laughs) Cane corso and had a, a, a bloody juicy steak dangled in front of its face. Couldn't have been more than the way I was feeling last night when he says, I'm just a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. Bro, you in jail. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. You, 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 you were in jail. Not only did you do it, they caught you. You were in jail. You're not good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Nicodemus... Nicodemus is, is, he's like, I'm a good person. I'm going to do the best I can. And I said, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to keep this religious standard. And Jesus began to talk, talks about being born again and how the spirit of God moves and, and all of these things. And because he knows Nicodemus is a religious ruler and he has the Old Testament in, in his hip pocket, he knows this story. But he's probably never connected the dots of this Old Testament story to what is futuristically going to happen through the Messiah, the promised one of God who is going to come and rescue Israel from their sin. And it's Jesus. And so, so he says this to Nicodemus. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, it's the story we're reading. Jesus confirms, this is me. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What is he talking about, be lifted up? He's going he's gonna to be the king of Israel. Eventually, everybody's going to get it, and everybody's going to love Jesus, and, and they're going to say, be our king, and they're going to put him on a throne, and Jesus is going to lead an army to fight against Rome, and he's going to rule the world. He's going to rule the world, but not like that. Right? He's going to be lifted up. He's lifted up through a cross, He's, he's nailed to the cross. He's exalted before all eyes to see because of the cross. So this is, this is the question. How does Jesus, how is Jesus seen in the bronze serpent? The first thing is we see that Jesus is fiery. Jesus is fiery. Now, I tried to make sure that I explained the difference in the translations a while ago. I'm using the King James and it says the fiery serpent. Some of you guys are using different translations that mean different things. So what does it, what does it even mean to be, to be fiery? Well, the literal translation is just to express that in the English that this snake is poisonous. So you guys know that there are poisonous snakes and non-poisonous snakes. All of them deserve to die, but that's just the category, right? All right? There's, there's some that can bite you that won't kill you unless you're like me and you have a heart attack and die because it bit you. There's poisonous and there's, there's non-poisonous. Fiery is trying to say that this is a, is a poisonous snake. But in the original language, which is Hebrew, to, to pack a little bit better of a punch, if we were able to read it with the Hebrew mindset and Hebrew language, it, it, it probably, not probably, it would pack this punch. It would mean strong and deadly sting is what it would mean exactly. So when you think of Jesus, usually this is not what you're thinking about. Jesus is fiery. Jesus packs a strong and deadly sting. Well, he does, right? He is is strong. 1 Corinthians, this is not on the screen here, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 to 58 Paul is talking about what's going to happen at the last trumpet when the trumpet sounds. He says later in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first. It's kind of the same parallel passage. But but he's talking about how this corruptible will put on incorruption and this mortal will put on immortality. That my body one day will be raised out of the ground and it won't have all the sicknesses and the ailments and the broken bones that have been healed again. All of that is gonna be repaired in a glorified state, in a glorified body. But he says this, which is real peculiar. He says that Jesus, in his death and burial and resurrection, took the sting out of death. Vance Havner, a preacher a long time ago, you might not have ever heard him, but he said that Jesus, when he died on the cross, stung death to death. (laughs) 
He says earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the last one of our enemies to be dealt with is death. What do we mean when, if, if, if the fiery serpent that is bronzed on a pole represents Jesus, then we have to recognize that this is a fiery, a strong and venomous, something that's going to pack a punch, a sting. This is, this is Jesus. Don't have your mind paint a picture of this weak, wimpy, effeminate Jesus. I don't, I don't see Jesus that way. Jesus was the most manly man that's ever lived. I'm not saying he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he could take him. You know what I mean? This is Jesus. He speaks in the winds and waves. They cease. He defies gravity. He walks on the water. He defies death. He calls forth Lazarus and Jairus' daughter. He spits on the ground and with his spit rubs on a blind man's eyes. And now that man sees. He wets his fingers and he puts it in a dude's ears. The original wet willy. And the guy can hear. Right? He has power and authority beyond our imagination. He is not some weak, effeminate, questionable man. And you say, well, Andy, I just don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't see him. One day you will see him. And when you see him, if you have question about that, it will be put away. Revelation chapter 1, verse 14 gives us a description of the resurrected Jesus. John is his own Isle of Patmos writes and he says, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. I'm not a pyromaniac, guys. Maybe a little bit. But man, this excites me. He sees with more purity and ability than what you could possibly imagine. The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro. There is not a closet deep enough in your house that you could hide away from. There is not a strong enough safe room that you could crawl into to where his eyes cannot see you. But then in Jude chapter one, verse 14 through 16, in this purity, he is coming again. Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, talking about the return of Christ, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. The completion of all the saints of God is what that means. Not a specific number, but a metaphorical number to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of, their, of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16, do we have 16? Yeah. These are murmurs <laughs> and complainers. You'd have, you'd, have, you'd have thought the next verse was probably talking about murderers, right? And thieves, Murmurs complain, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in them. In other words, thinking they're tricking men and having esteem of men more than they're having esteem and respect of God. So Jesus, he's coming back. Not, not as this, what we picture in our mind, this weak, frail, but this strong. He's coming as the line of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back with a sting and the sting is deadly. And, and this is what you need to know about that. You can have it one of two ways. The one who is the bronze serpent on the pole, that deadly sting, that fiery Jesus, he can sting your sin to death or in the end, if you reject him, he will sting you to death in hell. Man, that didn't hit as well as I thought it was going to hit. What I'm saying is, is if you reject Jesus, this serpent will bite you and it's going to inject a poison in you that is going to be eternally experienced in a place called hell. Y'all don't like that bad news, do you? Run to Jesus then. The second thing is Jesus 
is exalted. He is, he is fiery, but he's exalted. This brazen serpent was put on a pole and this pole was lifted up. It was open and on display for anyone who wanted to see it could see it. It wasn't that God was saying force them to come and look, but invite them to come and look. You, you've got the invitation to come and look. It's set up high. It's on a, on a pole. John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus talked about this as well. He said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. The crazy thing about that is when Jesus spoke that in John chapter 12, it's only a little under halfway or a little over halfway of the gospel record of John. In this story, the last thing from their minds was that Jesus was going to be crucified. They've heard Jesus say it, but it's like whoop right over their head. It hadn't hit home yet. And, and when Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw him in myself. They aren't thinking that Jesus is going to be crucified. Crucifixion was a thing. The Chaldeans began it. The Romans perfected it. It was a tool of execution. It was going on then. But they weren't thinking this Jesus is going to be on that cross. But Jesus is saying, I am going to be exalted. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross a place to where he was lifted up by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven he is a reconciling God through his cross by being lifted up like the bronze serpent he is making peace between God the father and sinful people Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 it says Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law you see, the only reason that you understand yourself as a sinner is because God has a standard that we're supposed to keep in perfection. But the fact of the matter is we know that we fall short of the standard and we can't keep the standard. Therefore, we see ourselves as one who has broken the boundary or the standard of God. And now we're cursed. Being made a curse for us, Jesus was. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And Jesus was cursed hanging on the tree for us. He was and is and will be exalted. You see, the exaltation of Jesus whenever he was crucified was looked at by some as a point of ridicule and mocking as he was in complete naked, bare open in shame, beaten to a pulp. Some looked at him and wagged their heads and said, you promised that you could do all these other things. Why not just send the angels to get you off the cross? Why not do that? But others looked with a brokenness, understanding the severity of the moment that everything that Jesus had been going through and currently enduring was for our sin. Not because of his sin, holy and pure and righteous and just. Not one thing came out of his mouth that was wrong at any point. Not one action ever done. He was not born as a sinner as we are just born into the flesh. There's a whole different story to that. But he became the curse for us. I, mean, I don't have a whole lot of time. I'm about done. But I just want to say this. Every bowl you hit, every time you hit it, Jesus took that on the cross. Every sexual experience you had outside of the covenant relationship in a marriage one man and one woman, by the way. Marriage don't count with any other way they're trying to do it nowadays. If you disagree with me, we can have a theological discussion in private. If you want it to be public, that's fine too. <laughs> but I'm just offering it to you. Then Jesus took that on the cross. Every lie you've told, everything you've taken that wasn't yours, let's, let's, let's flip the script on that. And say, so every time you knew to do the right thing, but you chose not to do it, Jesus took that. To him to know what to do good and to do it not his sin. That's what the Bible says. He, he took your curse. You were cursed. You were snake bit. You deserve to go to hell. Jesus, on the tree, took it because he's exalted. He was exalted, he is exalted, he will be exalted, he is coming as the exalted one. The last thing, and I'm getting ready to wrap this up, Jesus is looked at. 
<laughs> the bronze serpent, here we go. Anybody that walks by, snake bit, looks at it. Weird, right? Moses, just tell God to heal us. Moses, just tell God to get rid of all the snakes. I still pray that today. We don't have to have snakes. We don't have to have mosquitoes. We don't have to have gnats. We don't have to have ticks and fleas. Anyway, get rid of it, God. He says, no, 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 make, make, a, make, a, make a bronze and serpent. Put it on a pole. Everybody that walks is snake bit. When they look up at it, when they look up at it, the world has been looking at Jesus for a very long time. People all over the world who have heard of Jesus People who are deeply engrossed in the Bible belt that is coming unraveled and unbuckled by the second, by the way. Just about everybody thinks they know Jesus. They heard about Jesus. People are looking to Jesus. We're, we're getting ready for Easter. Guess what the History Channel's gonna do? Jack it up. But they're gonna talk about Jesus, right? Because the world is is looking, looking at Jesus. Moses was instructed by God to say, let people have enough faith to come and look. Look with faith and look with hope and look with expectancy. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. <clears throat> this is what Isaiah says, he says, and, and God speaking through him, look unto me, the Lord, and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. This is, this is what the world does. They look at Jesus, but they look at Jesus with doubt and skepticisms and wonder, could he be, maybe, I'm not sure I believe. I can't fully surrender. The world looks at Jesus that way. But when we look at Jesus this way, we experience salvation. We are rescued. We are saved. First Peter chapter two, verse 24, you know that passage. By his stripes, we are healed. When we look at Jesus, we receive salvation. And when we look at Jesus, we receive healing. Because Jesus is a fiery one who is ready to kill. That don't settle well with your, th your theology, I understand. But he is ready to kill. And he wishes to kill your sin. He wishes to put to death your sin. He wishes to put to death your doubt. He wishes to put to death your skepticisms. He wishes to put to death your addictions. He wishes to put to death your history. But what is it going to take for that to happen? Well, you have to come and look to Jesus. You have to look at him exalted and one full of authority and power the fact of the matter is you are looking at something or someone anyway. So many of you are looking, man, if I can just get that job, I can make that amount of money. And if I make that amount of money, I don't have to worry about how I'm going to pay my bills. And I'm not talking about trying to advance yourself and grow yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. But all your faith is in that. And, and what I've seen time after time is whenever that is the motivation, all of a sudden, the spiritual things start lacking, right? You start, you start giving up this and giving up. I told somebody just the other day, a job didn't save you. <laughs> Money, it didn't die on the cross to save you, right? Some of us are, are looking at someone like they can save us and heal us. Guys, if you have been snake bitten, the only, only chance for you to be healed is, is not for that old boy or that old girl, for your reputation to be restored, or you to get a good job. If I could just get somebody to help me through this season, it's, it's, you better come to Jesus. You better look to Jesus. He is lifted up for every odyssey. If you'll look to him, listen, if you'll look to him, you can be healed. Andy, I, I've been sick for so long. I've been down for so long. I have been hurt for so long. It may feel strange to do what God's telling you to do, 
But if in an act of obedient faith you do it, that's when you might experience the healing that you've been expecting. Step out in faith. If you would bow your heads with me for just a moment. Father, don't let us poll the crowd to find out what the popular opinion is and what we should do when we know what you've already told us what we need to do. Let us be obedient in faith. Father, I believe with everything that I am that there are those in this room who not only need healing, and God, you, you are providing it, not only want healing, but Lord, there's some things in the way. They're scared of what it's going to cost. Lord, I'm grateful that you're the kind of God that has never been scared of my doubt. You've never been confused when I've been confused. Just because I lack peace doesn't mean you're unsettled. Father, I'm asking right now in Jesus' name that you would move into that place in that person's life, that you would cast out those demons. God, that you would cure that spiritual sickness. God, you would reverse the effects of that poison. And Father, that tonight you would call life. And Father, we're the kind of people who are gonna walk by faith and not by sight. If we don't get a feeling it's okay, we'll walk by faith. If we don't see an immediate evidence it's okay, we're gonna be obedient and keep walking by faith. But Father, we're surrendering right now to you. And I, I know, guys, I'm, this is a little bit lengthy. I just feel impressed by the Holy Spirit. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just one more moment. Maybe for some of us, we just need to express. I, I, I've got some poison. I've been bit, and I've got some poison in my life, and I need the healer. I, I need to look to Jesus. If that's you tonight, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand up high. I'm the only one looking around. Nobody else should be looking around. I see hands all over. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those who honestly lift their hands. Lord, it's an, it's an act of faith. It's a humbling moment. It's a serious thing. And Father, I'm asking right now through the power of your Holy Spirit and the ministry of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would reach down from heaven and God, you would begin to stir something up inside of them, inside of their mind, inside of their heart, Lord, you've dealt to every man a measure of faith, and God, their faith might be the size of a mustard seed, but God, I'm asking you to do something with that mustard seed. You said the size of faith, the size of a mustard seed, could say this sycamore tree, get plucked up and go into the sea. Father, I'm asking you to do something with their faith right now. Stir it up, Lord. Stir it up in Jesus' name. Jesus, thank you for being the one, being the one who is, who's lifted up on the tree for us. We surrender to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen.